I'm Sean Sheehan. And I'm Rodney Robinson. And this is the Teacher's Caucus Podcast. This meeting of the Teacher's Caucus is now in session. I'm Sean Sheehan, and with me as always is Rodney Robinson. Rodney, how's your week been so far? Uh, My week has been, like everybody's in education, extremely, extremely taxing. However, you know, I'm looking forward. Our superintendent worked his calendar magic, and next week we have the whole week off. Oh, wow. So we're, you know, for teacher wellness and mental health. So shout out to Jason Cameras, our superintendent in Richmond. So I'm just trying to make it to Friday. And, you know, next week I'm going to get some reading and catch up on it, everything. Man, that's great. You know, I was just thinking about Thanksgiving break. Like it can't get here soon enough, you know? So yeah. <laughs> that's great. We worked some magic and we got it. So I'm, you know, I don't even know if our teachers could have made it to the break, but we're good. Mm. Well, listen, we got a, we have a really just fantastic guest tonight. Like, I'm super excited. He's he's from my class year. David Morales was selected as the 2015 LCPS Teacher of the Year and the 2016 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. He's also the 2017 NEA New Mexico Award for Teaching Excellence recipient. He is currently teaching with the Enlace program at Mayfield High School, where he is in his 17th year of teaching. And we're going to talk more about that. He holds a Bachelor's of Science degree from New Mexico State University in secondary education with a focus on social studies and a master's degree from Walden University in integrating technology in the classroom. Of course, his better half is Delilah Morales, and they have three wonderful, incredible children. Please welcome David Morales. David, thanks for coming on. What's going on, man? How are you doing tonight? Oh, man, it's fantastic to be here with these two incredible human beings. Teacher role models, teacher heroes. Dang, man. <laughs> um, I don't know what I did in a previous life to warrant this kind of, you know, attention from these two great people. But, man, whatever I did, I want to do it 10 times again. Thank you guys for having me. You're too kind, man. You're too kind. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's our pleasure to have you here. And so, you know, we, we just want to dive right into it, you know. Um, so what's going on in education in New Mexico these days? Well, man, it's tough. I, I mean, I, I think it's like every other teacher that I've seen on social media across the country. Everybody's exhausted. I was walking out of school today and I'm walking with one of my colleagues and we're headed out to the car. And I go, I can't believe it's going to be November. And I feel May tired. You know, it's it's just been so much. It's it's. Everything that we usually do, plus the COVID stuff, right? We got to catch everybody up, but keep doing what you're doing, what we, you've always done, and try to get those kids those experiences. And some of that is on is on me as a teacher because I want to give the kids all the stuff they missed while they were out, all the events, all the things that we do. But, man, we still have to do all the other stuff. Now, I, I will say right up front that I'm really blessed. With the program that I teach in um, – I have a little bit more flexibility than maybe some of those core teachers at the high school, you know, the math teachers, the English teachers, the social studies teachers, um, and the science teachers. And and so I have some flexibility and I, I have it a little bit easier, but seeing some of the stuff that they're having to do to document, you know, hey, how are you addressing learning loss? How are you, you know, what's your MLSS goal? What is your, you know, language goal? What is your content goal? How are you going to do your PDP? Hey, we're doing evaluations this week. Hey, make sure you sign up for your 
observation, your formal observation, because they've already done walkthroughs. You know, it's all that stuff that's hard, that that just starts to weigh on you because it seems like there's so much to do and there's never enough time. And, and I don't think that's unique to New Mexico, but that's what it feels like right now. And, you know, it's, it's tough because how do you address that, right? You know, how do you, how do you convince people that we need time to get the kids back before we can start pumping all that stuff into their brains again? You know, I want them to be at the school and feel like they belong somewhere, like they connect, like they, they, they're part of a community but still instilling all the content and all meeting all those goals, meeting all those standards and benchmarks. It's been, it's been a challenge and it weighs, and I'm lucky. So as a high school teacher, even compared to like the middle school teachers and the elementary teachers, man, I don't know how they do it, you know, and, and that goes against nationwide, but elementary teachers, I will say right now are, man, they're a special breed because my wife's one and mm -mm, I can't do what she does. Mm -mm, no, thank you. <laughs> Like, what's the sense that you get from the kids? You know how the teachers feel about it. How do the kids feel about catching up and just... So we actually, I told them, hey, I'm going to be sitting with these two dope dudes tonight. And they're going to ask me stuff. What would you want them to hear? And, and what they're talking about is the same thing is, you know, how do we... They're caught up in, in this push to get them caught up, right? So they have all this stuff that they have to do. But they're also trying really hard to get everything done because they don't want to go back to the way it was while we were out. And, and we're afraid, you know, we're, we're under mask mandates in our school, but we're, we're essentially, you know, we're pretty close back to normal-ish, but we're wearing masks. And we try to social distance where we can, and we try to do all that and take care of the kids. We're really trying to be safe. Our state has done a really good job of getting people vaccinated. So we're, we're, we're better off in that regard. But they're they're feeling it too. They're tired. I mean, they got you know when they came back, a lot of our kids were like, you know, our teachers are still with that training that hey, I need to know where you're going and you need to ask me so that if something happens, if I get pulled to a fire drill or something, I know where you're at. Because the kids were, you know, they were like at home. They want to get up and just take off and do their own thing. And I'm gonna walk around and and do everything and management in order to get the content delivered. You know, you guys know as well as I do. It's it's very difficult to do that. If it, if there's one kid doing it, cool, we manage it. When 15 kids start doing it, because, you know, our sophomores right now, they had one quarter of high school before they came back. Yeah. So they don't know. You know, they don't know how to be high school kids. I had kids, you know, I had 11th graders playing tag in the hallway the other day, and I'd never seen that in 17 years. I was like, hmm, yeah. all right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think a lot of times there was this big rush to get back to normal academics and we forgot about just the emotional maturity that our kids lost out of the 18 months yeah. of just emotional growth gone. Think about it. If you had a kid who was in sixth grade when the pandemic started, that kid is now in eighth grade, you know, and getting ready to go to high school without that 18 months of schooling and just growth. And so... Our kids are really, really struggling. And, you know, earlier I talked about, you know, our superintendent, you know, when he, you know, made the announcement that the school would be closed. Initially, parents were upset, you know, of course, because mm -hmm. I have to find daycare and all that. But our biggest allies were the students who went to their parents and said, we need a break. 
you know, this is hard on us. You know, we know it's hard on the teachers, but it's also hard on us because we, we're being inundated with 18 months worth of work in addition to what we have to learn this year. And so, you know, I think far too often we forget, you know, as teachers, we're going through it. But I think we need to also start thinking about more that our kids are really going through it as well. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, you know, we were talking about customer service yesterday. I told the kids, I go, look, I grew up, I came up in the hotel industry and the restaurant industry. I got trained up on customer service and I bring that to my class. So I'm always, I'm always asking for feedback. Hey, so what's going on? What can I do? How can I help you? And they talk about that. They talk about, you know, everybody's so caught up in doing the work that they forget to ask us how we're doing and what we're doing. And and I don't fault teachers because, you know, it's, hey, get it done, get it done, get it done. So it's it's hard. I, and I agree with you. We had a, a two-day fall break and I'll tell you what, it was glorious. It was glorious. It was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But that Thursday, Friday, oh, you know, recover, recuperate. And our kids did the same thing. So, it was, yeah, I completely agree. We need that space to be able to recover. Yeah, you know, it's. I mean, and then think about think about the parents, too, on the receiving end of just, like, having to. Oh, man. You know, some of them had to step into new roles as like tutors and they were looking at content and they were and and then if you were one of you know, like my wife and I, like if you were also teaching classes, but then you had like a kid running around in the background or like you had to you had to share the Wi-Fi because you're like, all right, so let's see, you're 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 teaching from nine to ten thirty and then the kids got stuff from like ten to eleven and we we had like a standing rule of just like you know when the office doors close like that's class classes in session don't come in if the kids screaming you got to handle it like uh, yeah. it, you know just that <laughs> the classroom management shifted to like household management and it was such a weird space and you know what i wonder a bit about was like now that like as a collective right like i mean across the globe parents got just a little bit of a a sample of the kind of work that we do I wonder if that informed kind of what we're seeing now across the country and in some of the other episodes, what we're talking about is like this, what might be a little bit more um, incendiary relationships of parents, like more involved in education, you know, and, and I know, at least out here in Texas, as campaign season is spinning up, we have folks that are running for office you know, who are leaning hard on that platform of like parents know best. I mean, to like a far extreme to where like parents should should have complete control over every curriculum item that's in front of their kids. You're like, yeah, because because that's what they're going to do. They're going to know exactly what math, science, like history, civics, like English. They're going to know what to put in front of their kids for sure. What's your take on that, David? Well, I mean, it's it's easy. I say, yes, let's go ahead. Let, let's see how that works out because it's easy, right? You know, it's like me going into the doctor's office and saying, hey, you got to do this this way. You, you know, my knee surgery, make sure you make the incision here and do this because, you know, studies show that this and that happens. But I didn't go through, you know, eight years of training for it, you know, 12 years of training for it. I just, you know, I saw some videos, you know, I looked at YouTube, you know, it taught me how to do woodworking. So I should be pretty good at surgery now. Right. And, and I think once people actually get in there and, and realize the work that it takes to make sure that it's solid, that it's standards based, that we're le- that we're teaching a kid to be well-rounded. And I think that's a little bit where the issue is. Right. We want to te- teach the kids what we want them to learn, because that's the way it was when I did it. 
You know, it's that parent that wants to coach because I played once, so I'm an expert now. Everybody went to school, so, you know, I went to school, so I know how it's done. You know, I look back because I was an off, I was I was not the best student in high school. I I could I hated high school. I I didn't do anything. I got really lucky in that I had parents who loved education and pushed me and pushed me. But man, I didn't care. And I think now looking back, man, those poor teachers, man, the stuff that they would try to, you know, they would feel sorry. And you know, it got to the point where I would like tap them on the shoulder and. Ah, uh, Mr. So-and-so, thanks for trying, though, man. I appreciate I'm not going to do anything, but thanks for trying. And I think eventually parents will start to see that. I think right now they're really caught up in this feeling of being threatened and that their identity is somehow going to be stripped away from them. But I think most parents, if you ask them about their kid in their school with their teachers, they love it. But when you talk about public education as a whole, all of a sudden it becomes these talking points that everybody's throwing out there. I've had parents, you know, the way I teach, some parents, we do not agree. We do not agree. But when I talk to them and we have those conversations about those issues we might disagree on, they get that I'm not trying to tell their kid what to think. I'm trying to get their kid to learn how to think. And how to be critical and to have critical analysis and be able to observe the world and come up with their own ideas. But it has to be based on something that they can fall back on, some some type of true evidence. Not some dude who's sitting down, you know, on YouTube talking about this stuff who doesn't have any kind of training for it. You know, I tell my kids all the time, I go, would you take your, would you take your grandma who you love, your abuelita, to a doctor that didn't get trained? Of course not. Or would you trust a doctor that had your grades in high school? That's the one that get. They're like, ooh. So <laughs> what do we want here, right? Right. You know. So yeah, I, I'm all for parent involvement, but I'm all for parent involvement if we're gonna do it, for right? Sure. Come on in. Let's sit down at the table and let's work this all the way up. Because I want you to tell me what the strands are and how you're gonna address those. Mm. Yeah. Um- I mean, I don't even want to say the word election because in Virginia right now, it's just ground zero for all national politics because we have the governor's gubernatorial election, which they always call the bellwether of how the country is leaning. And so that issue of parental rights, parental choice has literally become the central issue in the wow. debate to where one candidate is saying, you know, anti-CRT, he has a commercial with a parent who hated the book Beloved in her son's AP um, English class. Then the other candidate is giving out signed copies of Beloved at his campaign rally last night in Northern Virginia. And so, you know, I think I, I sent a tweet out the other night and it was just like, I'm so sick of people talking about education in terms of buzzwords. You yeah. know, and that's really what's all that's happened. Nobody has any in-depth policy that can help parents. Everyone uses these buzzwords that generates emotions to bring people to school board meetings to yell at school board members. And it's just really gotten out of hand nationwide, you know. And so I really hope that right now we just give voice to those parents who aren't, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs, who just want a good, solid education for their students and a chance to for them to, their kids to do better in life than they are. I yeah. think all parents want that, but 
that small vocal minority is really hijacking the conversation right now, and it's really frustrating. So you I was see playing that, out in New Mexico. Like, so the same that. thing. I mean, we've had people at school board meetings yelling and ranting and raving. And actually, this past time, we're, we're redoing all our social studies standards. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's getting pretty thick. But our one of our deputy secretaries of education actually came to the school board meeting and did a presentation and actually did a, a, a truths and myths on critical race theory, right? Like what it is and what it isn't. And the first thing she said was, this is what it is. You know, it's, you know, an idea, theology based in at the university that's used to study different um, situations from, from a race perspective. And she said, this doesn't belong in high schools. It belongs in the college level where we can look at these large data sets that we can break down and figure out what is actually happening, right? You know, the study of redlining and issues like that. And she goes, all right. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be, you know, culturally re culturally reflective of the students in our classrooms with our materials, with our concepts, with our ideas, because what they bring into the classroom is valuable also. You know, we talk about it in the terms of funds of knowledge, right? When my kid comes to school and he's learned how to make a tortilla from his grandma, from his abuelita, that's chemistry. That's facts, you know, family and consumer sciences. It comes with this tradition and, and this base of knowledge and love, which is something that we tend to not really put a lot of, you know, credence into. But dang, it's like the thing that drives everything, right? So I think you're, you're seeing those type of conversations here. But, you know, we're 70% Latino in my school district. You know, we're like 9%, you know, white and, and, and we have... Actually, I had them pulled up earlier, but I was looking at it. But you start seeing the fact that, you know, schooling is schooling because the books we get come from Texas. They come from, you know, other places. And, and us as teachers try to augment that with experiences that are true to the students that sit in front of us. You know, I've had students that are exchange students from Taiwan in our program. And it's like, huh. You know, learning that and being able to speak to that and, and drawing out that without being the guy that's like calling, well, you know, making tokenizing anybody or anything like that. You know, I think for some teachers it's a challenge, but as parents and as and as students and as teachers, I think you're right, Sean. I think we need to we need to come together and figure out, all right, who are or Rodney, I'm not sure which one of you said it, but we need to figure out who the parents are who aren't just yelling and screaming, but really want to invest their time and energy in developing a curriculum or a set of curriculums that are gonna really help our students become better citizens of this country without it being about animosity and and then and antagonizing the other side, whatever that is, because we have people yelling for both sides. So. Yeah. So, David, you were already you are you're launching into the program. You're talking about the program. So, talk about the program. Tell us about tell our listeners about Enlace. So, Enlace is a program that was started in 2001 by the by through a Kellogg Foundation grant. All right. So they were given our state came up with a, a plan, presented it to the Kellogg Foundation. We got a five year, five million dollar grant. After that, we had to become self-sustaining, figure it out. The way our state did it is they broke our state up into five different regions using five um, land-grant-based institutions 
across the state to kind of base our different regions in. So ours is based at New Mexico State University, and it's actually in the Doniana Branch Community College part, the Doniana Community College part of NMSU. Um, essentially, our purpose to break it down is we want to get Latino kids graduated. All right. That was our initial goal. That was the, the, the premise. And we want to get them graduated because at the time when the program started, Latino graduation rates were significantly lower than anyone else. So, hey, we want to help them out, be productive citizens, all of that good stuff. After the grant runs out, we're staying self-sustaining. We did away you know, with any requirements for race or anything like that. Anybody that wants to be part of our program has the opportunity to apply. My school and the way we do uh, student selections is my kids go out, they present to their other classes, they talk about the program and what we do in there, and then the kids sign up for interviews. Last year, we interviewed 205 kids. And it's great. It, it's crazy because the kids help me pick the kids. I have the final say so that that way, if their friend says, how come you didn't pick me? Go talk to Morales. But what ends up happening is it ends up demographically being really close to what you see uh, district-wide. Our kids are represented in equal numbers, so it's really cool. So at our school, we have um, a level two, a level three, and a level four. So we don't teach freshmen, so that would have been level one. So I teach level two for sophomores, level three for juniors, and level four for seniors. Level two is all about self-identification and you know, finding out who they are, not just not just like culturally, because a lot of people, when they talk about culturally reflective teaching, they're talking about food, fun and fiestas. Right. You know, the surface stuff we talk about. All right. You know, what are your cultural values? What is it that your parents are teaching you right now that you want to hand over to your kids when you have them? What do you want to teach them? And we start talking about them and it's amazing. And that's always where it starts. And I love it because our kids start talking about, well, they want me to be respectful. They want me to be, you know, they want to, they want me to be responsible. They want me to be honest. They want me to be trustworthy. They, those are cultural values that transcend race. So my kids start looking at each other like, yeah, me too. My parents too, and they're coming from different places. So I have kids who are newcomers. They just got here yesterday from Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, whatever. I have kids that have been here a little while that are Latinos, like me, Chicanos. I call myself Chicano, and we're different. So you have you start looking at that, and they start recognizing the similarities. My white kids, my black kids, my Asian kids, they start looking at each other. Yeah, me too. So that first that first year is all foundational and it creates this foundation where they discover who they are. So that way they become leaders and they stop looking to others to tell them what to do. And they start thinking, I want this, so I'm going to go get it. Level two, we do action research. We find an, an issue that they're passionate about. Right now it's facilities. I wanted to do something, you know, a little bit more controversial, but they're like, I, I, we want to have shade outside so we can eat outside because they're not allowed in the building right now. And I said, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we do an action research project. We're in the middle of data collection right now and our literature review. And then we'll, we'll present it to policymakers to see if we can get some changes and some funding. One year, our, our action research project made it all the way to the state house and it was used 
as evidence of how students were feeling when it, when they were test being tested like crazy, like three weeks a year in March, and it got it, it. The bill actually made it all the way through, and they narrowed the testing window to four days. Wow! And part of that was our action research that he actually used as evidence. And then level four is our seniors, and it's all college all the time. So we talk about it at the very beginning. I go, look, I know some of you just want to go to work. I know some of you want to do uh, train uh, like a tech school or a community college type situation, a four-year school, the military. All of those are fantastic, and I want you to pursue that. What we're going to do is I'm going to lay down a foundation for you. So in May, if you change your mind, you're good. You, you're, you're all set up. You've got your applications in, you've got your scholarships, all that. But if you want to go work in the oil fields in Odessa and make a hundred grand as a 19 year old and you're able to do that, man, what do I say? If you have to go and work, because a lot of my kids do, and make money so you can help pay bills at home and take care of moms, who, who am I to judge? But you'll have this here and I'll plant that seed deep in your brain so little by little, it'll grow out. So I have kids. I have a kid right now who's 26 years old in Ar in Arkansas. And she goes, hey, Morales, I'm going back to school. Can you help me? Absolutely. Let's go. Message me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so some of our kids have different situations, but we, we work on that. Our program is based on teaching the kids that sit in front of us, not the kids we wish we had. You know that's, what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. great. And it turns out that those kids are the ones I always wish I had. I like yeah. them most of the time. Sometimes I so want to shake it's them. So <clears throat> it's not that dissimilar from Avid, would you say? It's similar to Avid with the twist of, all right, so the college part, yes. Mm -hmm. The cultural part, because a lot of the resources we use, we mine our population to find the resources that are good, that they're going to see their names in, that they're going to see their cultures in, that they're going to see their families in. So, you know, it comes from all these different sources instead of this like rote curriculum that is that you're going to read this author, this author, this author. We have a little bit of freedom to be able to find different resources that speak to them that way. That's great. That's, I mean, I love the fact that you guys started small, you know, because that that's what it's all about. The little victories are what inspires the kids to take on the big victories. Like if it didn't start with something as small as getting a space outside to eat, that gives yeah. them the confidence to say, okay, well now, hey, let's push to this next goal. And that's really what it's all about. Just seeing tangible results while you're working. That's what keeps kids motivated. We had two school board members come into the to the classroom and talk with them. And one of our girls and one of our, we, we, we have urinals and you guys have been in school in public school bathrooms. There were no partitions in our, cause our school's like from 1967. So the, one of the guys goes, man, yeah, we can't use it. Like if it's busy, we're not using all the stalls. And the school board member said, you know what? I think I can take care of that for you. I can help you. Let me call the super, call the super. They're being installed by the, by like middle of next month. To see that action happen because they said something powerful, yes. powerful. No, I was just saying it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, when I worked in juvenile corrections. You know, I said we asked the kids, what are, what's your number one issue? It's like we're hungry all the time. We don't eat enough. 
you know? And so they literally started a petition to get more food, different meal plans, different structures, you know, and that built up their confidence to the point where, you know, next time they're asking the mayor for more after school programs. Then they're asking the state legislature for, you know, more funding for school. You know, it just, yep. it just, it's like a bear, you know, going downhill. Once you get that momentum and they start to believe in what they can do, then it's it just going to keep going. And, uh, you know, I, I commend you for that. Well, I love it. And, and the kids, they're, they're the ones that do it, which is what I love the most. <laughs> they take care of it. I love that. I love that. Yes. You know, they set their own examples. Uh, Before we transition to the last part, I just want to say, I'm glad that you highlighted, you know, you said food, fun, and fiestas. Like, I was having a conversation with a colleague the other night, and they were, we were talking about just, you know, all of the things related to, you know, reflecting the student population. And he was like, yeah, this one campus is going to do a multicultural night. And I rolled my eyes hard. And he was like, and he himself is black. And he was just like, what, like, what's up with that? And I was like, all right. I mean, how much time do we have? Like the multicultural night, like you're relegating student populations and, and years of culture to just like a couple hours. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and some people get months and some people get a week and some people get a day. And, and you're saying all of them are going to have to share one evening. Like that's, that's a push. You know what I mean? So it's. Uh, you're doing great work and let me so let's zoom out just a little bit in just in like two minutes and i know this is like a massive question to ask of you david but you (laughs) you have the perspective i mean let's talk about you know how can we best what policies are needed to support our english language learners i mean you're working with our newcomers what do we need to see so um in the state of new mexico in 2018 the the state government was sued by a group, uh, Yazi Martinez versus the, the state of New Mexico, and they won. And the push was to make sure that our education system was properly funded because it was found to not be funded correctly. So that has been ramping up. There are still challenges and there's still a lot of like hesitation and pushing and trying to figure out the funding part. Um that our school should be more culturally reflective and that we should have equity councils for every school district. And that's happening. So we have people who are part of equity councils um, across the state. And I think that's part of where some of our pushback comes from because our state has kind of leaned into that pretty hard because they were sued and were found guilty of not providing those services, you know, systemically over time. Not We're not talking about one governor or another or one party or another. It's been since the beginning. So now we're seeing that those policies are starting to be put into place. Um, we just, we, we need to continuously review our resources and our opportunities that we're giving our students. We need to be able to make sure that we're training staff to the highest ability to recognize those pitfalls, those challenges that, that they're going to face while you know, teaching our kids that are newcomers, that are ALS, and how, how is it that we can best address their needs and include them so that they're part of the process, that they're, that they're not, that we come with a solution. And, you know, we try to be solutions oriented because we can all point at the problem, but how do we address this and how do I help these kids, you know, and how, how can I get trained to better and, and best provide them the services they need to be successful here? Because, you know, I know we're running out of time, but Man, my kids that move here, like when they're 14, they don't want to be here. They were brought here by their parents because their parents knew, mm-hmm. I want you to have a better opportunity or I right. can find work here. It's rarely I want to go. It's 
I've never met a parent in my 17 years that says, I moved here so I could exploit the system. Right. They're here because they want to do something better for their family. But those kids, they left, you know, imagine you guys have been there, ripped out from your your homie group at 14 years old and put into this new school with a different language, with a different identity, with a different system. If you have somebody in that building that at least says, hey, man, I'm glad you're here. Dang, that matters. And I think sometimes we lose focus of that because we're so inundated with deliver the content, deliver the content, make sure they learn. (sighs) Thank you, guys. Sorry, I get all emotional it's good, it's good. <laughs> no, i mean it just shows just shows you you care you know that that you put your heart into this work and i think any parent that's what they want of, of of their teacher you know they're trusting you with their most precious gift that they have and so they definitely want someone who has that heart and emotion so i commend you for it thank you it's trying to be like you ruddy I'm trying to be like you. (laughs) David taught me how to eat cupcakes when I was in Mexico. (laughs) You know, it's the sandwich method, you know. And and he's a champion in my household and in my family for showing me that because I show my wife, my nieces, we all eat cupcakes that way now. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And it makes it so much better. I I don't know. Yes, yes. It's a cream sandwich. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Dave. So, what, what what homework do you have for our viewers as, as they listen? So, some of the things that I, some of the books that I like to I I used to read books, and I'm guilty of being one of those audible guys that listens to books now because it takes me 20 minutes to get to work and 20 minutes back. So I listen. Um, the book the books that I've been listening to recently are by Father Greg Boyle. Um, he's a priest. He actually runs Homeboy Industries in East Los Angeles, the world's most successful gang intervention and uh, ex-convict rehabilitation center in the world, not just not just the United States. And you know, I tell my kids, I go, look, man, I'm not a super religious guy. I've never had it, but this guy just speaks to me. He just speaks to me. So he has a, a series of books. He calls them his power books. The first one is. The power tattoos on the heart, the power of boundless compassion. The next one is barking to the choir, the power of radical kinship. And the last one is the whole language, the power of extravagant tenderness. And those three things, tenderness, kinship, and compassion are probably the most powerful attributes a teacher can bring to the classroom. Definitely. And, this guy gets it. And so he's a priest and he cusses sometimes because he works with gang members. And something about that just makes me laugh. <laughs> I don't trust the person until I've heard them cuss twice because the first time might have been an accident. <laughs> oh, no. Nah. He actually dropped the F-bomb in the last one I'm reading. I was like, in the car, like looking around. I was like, oh my God, he's a priest. But, it was, but he was quoting somebody. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, yeah, that's good. No, but he's awesome. He, he doesn't do it a lot, but he's... The stories, man, he just breaks me down, man. He, he, he reminds me of my why, of my why. That's great. <laughs> we'll, we'll put those, uh, we'll put the resource links to the resource in the show notes for everybody. And then close it out with uh, extra credit. So what's the extra credit for our listeners? So tomorrow or the next time you're in front of your kids or you're around your kids, try to identify the kid that you've connected with the least. 
Now, you might be a super teacher and connect with everybody, but which one's the least? And I want you to have a conversation with them about anything but school. Tried and true classroom management technique that's worked for me forever. Stand at the door and the kid that I have connected with the least, I'll ask them something about, hey, what's your favorite type of car? And usually they'll ignore me the first time because I'm a high school teacher. They'll just like look at me like I'm weird or something. By the <laughs> second or third day, they'll start answering. And if I can get them to answer like three or four days in a row, I rarely have any behavior issues or anything like that. And they become mine and I become theirs. So it's dope. There you go. That's All right. Saying, well, David Morales, 2016 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. Thank you so much for coming on the Teachers Caucus. Uh, Rodney, you got any closing thoughts for us? Um, I just want to thank David just for, you know, coming in with that sense of realness, that sense of heart, that 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 passion that every educator needs to have. And, you know, I just want to truly thank you. And also, like I said, I want to thank you for teaching me that cupcake hack because <laughs> It's changed, you know, the life of my, of my family. <laughs> I, I thank you guys so much for for having me here. Um, quick shout out, though, to uh, Pamela Court, Bob Wofford, and, um, oh, my God, uh, Ray Jaramillo, who are running for school board locally. Make sure you get out. Vote for them. They're the dopest. There you go. All right. What and I gotta wrap up this clear. If you listen, the cupcake thing is we didn't really explain. So you're saying that when you eat a cupcake and all the frosting's on top and it gets on your lips and everything makes a mess, David. What you're saying was you cut off the bottom and then throw it on the top. So now the cream yes, is sir. just so I think for just you're only listening, so you can't really you can't show them. You gotta it, it it's a sandwich. This so and it's good little side segment oh of the teachers' God. caucus, great baking, yeah. greatest baking show go. or something. <laughs> like that. I don't know. Take the that should be the part. picture. <laughs> take the cake part, cut it in half, then take that bottom half and put it on the top and eat it like eat it like a sandwich, and it keeps your fingers from getting <laughs> icing all over them. There you go. There you go. All right. <laughs> all right. That should be fellas. the picture for this caucus. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, throw, we'll throw a cupcake in the show notes too all right i love you guys appreciate you this meeting of the teachers caucus is now adjourned